Hi, Broadway fans. Do you like to pee for free? Check us out with You're in Town coming up next. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Broadway Breakdown. What is your in town? You're in town. I think your intro just now was my favorite Broadway intro. Do you like to pee for free? I just love all the little voices that all the people do in this show. Yeah. Like, I love that no one in this show besides maybe Hunter Foster really has a normal voice. Yeah, that is true. All true. the girls have these exaggerated, like, either deep womanly voices or, like, the high-pitched yeah. young voices. It's a show full of character actors. Yes. Yeah. Which is why I Which enjoy is nice. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice for character actors to get a show for themselves. To get a spotlight once in a while, instead of just like, here you are, now we're going to pull you away and let the pretty singers sing. Right, exactly. Um, hi, everyone. Welcome and to... And that's not to say the character <laughs> actors aren't pretty. I'm just saying. The pr- the, but, like, the pretty singing. Right, the pretty Not singing. that char- yeah, character actors can sing pretty as well, but oftentimes they get the, uh, the they- kind of... It's they get the songs. roles that, or the roles that make them look ugly, yes. even though they're not. Um, welcome to Broadway Breakdown. I am your host, Brianna Phipps. You can find me at bphipps14 on Twitter and Instagram. I'm one two three Jackie B on all platforms. Um, and like we said, we're talking you're in town, the musical, uh, spelled like you're in like <laughs> P, not not like you're you are in, in town. <laughs> Which was the confusion on our last episode. <laughs> oh, Allie, she was so. Cute. I know she was so confused. She was like, "Wait, you're in like." you're here in town no i mean that's a whole different musical probably right but i'm sure it they does sound I'm, like a good musical well i'm sure they meant that play on words too because they're talking about how terrible the title is mm-hmm. so i'm sure there's that they're just making that play so on words. you're in town is a satirical satirical comedy bleh, i can't talk today um with music by mark hallman i do want to talk about the music first because i feel like the music is what makes the show so mark hallman wrote this great score that has so many different styles in it which a lot of times with a musical, um, you get kind of one, like you get different feels, but it all kind of melds together in this, like it goes off all the way. You have like gospel I think that, feeling. You I have. think that happens with satire musicals a lot. Like when you look at Book of Mormon, there's a lot of different styles of music. But if you're looking at something like Les Mis, aside from the comedy numbers, a lot of the stuff is like those like heavy, open, like, like phantasmagorical numbers you know so uh i think that with satire when you're trying to poke fun at something it hel- you're you're able to create like this hodgepodge of different types of music um greg codis also helped write the lyrics and the book for the show as well so i want to give it not out to him as well but um this musical like i said we just talked about like the you get with satire like a lot of different feel like i said we have gospel with run freedom run we have like the very broadway feeling show soundtracks we have um the very like falsetto almost like um follow your heart where you she goes into like classic broadway styling it's, and then we have that cop number that yeah, like totally reminds me of the officer crumpke song from west side oh, story yeah. i didn't yeah. even think about that and I think, again, it's like you're doing satire, so why would you not pick from a whole bunch of different types of Broadway? And I know that there is, um, it said that there was a song that was kind of based off Les Mis, which I was trying to think of which one it was, and the in only one I could this, think of. In the second act, it's like the battle song. They, 
when the song right before they do like the slow-mo like running off stage they have like this marching yeah. kind of like battle yeah song. that was like what i was gonna say that's the only one i could kind of yeah. think of what it was um and then you have like uh <laughs> little Susie just being like uh, the, and I'm sorry I don't remember the name of that number. I'll look uh, it up later. But yeah, I, I have the song so I can look it up as well. But um, when she sings the song after he goes to urine town, and she's just like, and he's kind of phantoms. There's a lot of phantom singing in this musical as well. There is, yes, yeah. Because we get his father and other people that have gone to urine town coming up, popping up here and there in the background. We have Bobby popping up in the background. So there is a lot of like this like ghostly feel to this show. Yeah, I mean, well, you have this place that doesn't exist at all, which is, like, another theme for a ghost town. Which, I, I mean, when I first heard of You're in Town, I was like, oh, it's like a Brigadoon thing with P. It is not like Brigadoon at all. It is not like Brigadoon at all. Just saying. <laughs> because in Brigadoon, the town actually exists. You don't just kill people. Well, Greg Cotis had the idea for You're in Town um, and said while well, he was traveling in Europe... He was a student on a budget, and he encountered a pay toilet. I love and this that story. that is how he thought of starting this thing about, like... This is my favorite story, because looking up, uh, doing the research for this, I read that anecdote, and before I even did the research and heard the, mu the musical, the first one of the first things, aside from the like sad Brigadoon thing, um, that came to my head was, when I was little, I lived in Germany, and there are pay toilets in Germany and a lot of other places in Europe, and that was the first thing I thought of when I heard the, the, the opening musical. number. Um, or, it's not the opening number, but one of the first numbers. Um, so I, I was I was so pleasantly surprised that I'm like, oh, he literally did base this <laughs> musical off of, off of a paid toilet. Okay. I thought of it because, like, growing up in San Francisco, there is also a lot of toilets um, that they're slowly making you have to pay in the public for because they don't want the homeless people just going in there and, like, sleeping in there. And you mean, like, a Starbucks kind of dealio where it's, like, you have to no, buy like a No, like, they're latte? actually outside. Oh, okay, okay. Um, like, in, like, super touristy areas, they'll have, like, these outdoor, like, kind of porter potty toilets, and they don't want the homeless who are going in there a lot to, like, take showers or just sleep or whatever, so they started, like, making you have to pay to use them. Right. And it sucks when you're in the city and you have to pee really bad and you can't pay because um, you don't have coins on you. And you only have a credit card. And you don't want to have to, like, go buy something from somewhere because they only let you use their restroom if you pay for something. Like, a lot of the restaurants. Right. And it's like Starbucks, like you said. Right. And it's all because of the homeless population. They, like, a lot of people just don't want the homeless coming in their area. So that's why they make those rules. But In Europe, I'm sure it's a combination of that. And, like, a lot of the paid toilets are in... Um, uh, like main tourist attractions like old castles and stuff like that so I think that a, a lot of it has to do with like the upkeep of the actual building as well yeah I mean but it is kind of that I mean we see you kind of see that in the show like the people that are using this public amenity number nine are the poorest of the poor right the people that are scraping by to try to be able to pee once or twice a day um, and then you have Cladwell and his people that are living in this like completely rich and populated little business and are overtaxing people for peeing so they can have more money. No, but I mean, this is also a different political statement. I mean, you could almost uh, nowadays, and th and I know that a lot of their spoofs are on different types of things in politics, but the thing that comes most to my mind right now is healthcare, where you have the poorest people in the country paying like some of the highest premiums, and you have some of the richest people in the country, they don't have to buy healthcare at all. Mm -hmm. So um, that was one of the things that came to my mind, where it's like, you, I mean, you make people 
people yeah, pay I think their... they use this theme because we see this theme a lot happening in our own world in many different ways where people I mean like you even look at food like buying the food that's good for you is so expensive that and then true. buying the food that is terrible for you McDonald's, is like a dollar. McDonald's dollar menu <laughs> is not good for you so I mean you constantly are seeing in our own society which is why I think you part like why he put this in here is because we're constantly seeing the people that have nothing being forced to use like the most terrible worst things that they can to be able to get by right and I'm right. still trying to figure out exactly how much they have to pay to pee. <laughs> I know. that would. I mean, it would be nice to know. But I guess, like, in making the themes universal, you don't give a price because then you're like, hmm, that play was written you just in hear 2001. Her being like, 500, like her counting her pennies, 500. And I'm like, so how much? So $6? <laughs> and then they, in the middle of the show, raise the the taxes on the toilets. So right. Which did remind me more. a little bit of Newsies, too. Where it's like, the, the Newsies have to pay an extra, I don't remember what it was, to buy I, their papers? Their and living, living in California, it is a little, like, a scary thing to think because we have been in a drought for years. But I'm like, what if it got to a point where you had to pay to pee? I know. Where they had and to, as like, women, you're naturally penalized because more women usually have to pee more. Just saying. Especially women that have had children. I know. That is true. All my friends that have children have to pee, like, every two minutes. So. Right. Especially pregnant women. Which we have in the show. Which right. I think was just... I think her character wasn't supposed to be pregnant originally, but from what I read, the actress that was off-Broadway was pregnant. Oh. So the character became pregnant. Which is funny because I saw a, you know, like a local production where that that actress, like, you know, basically it's a non-pregnant actress playing a pregnant character, so I wonder if they just yeah, were inspired the by that. I think when the show started, they um, had someone else step in, they gave her a fake pregnant belly because I think that the original actress gave birth and had to go maternity oh yeah that makes sense um but from then on the character has been pregnant i like that it gives it an air of diversity and like uh, a reminder that um whether or not they meant to do this but a reminder that like you're building a future for your kids and that if you don't do it right the future is garbage which it, I did get a little depressed because it does seem to be that like everything falls apart in the end and when you're a, when you're a like type a person like me you're like how could I have planned this better? Like, like you're like you want to help those people because, out because you find that no way that you do this is the right way to do it with the situation they're in. Like her father is overtaxing people and it's bad, but he's also creating a scarcity thing of where they're not using the water as much, and so it's sustainable. But then when she takes over and lets everyone pee for free, the water goes away really fast, and then they have nothing, and then they all starve to death. I know you like, feel bad because we're, I mean, with climate change here and all, you feel like, is this our future? Like drought and like paying for the toilet? Like what is this? And then it, I had a little bit of anxiety watching it because I'm like, how can I help these people? How can I make it better for them? How can I fix this problem? It's like you just, and that's like the whole construct that Bobby Strong has with hope is like they want to help everybody but in helping everybody you destroy everything right which there has to be an answer like I feel like there has to be we just I mean in some of it you know obviously like with satire you take things to the most extreme level to make your point but uh, they did cover some things like they have uh in the cop song they have reference to like people being penalized for like sneak peeing outside people being penalized for like using toilets indoors which that was my first thought i was like what if people just use chamber pots you can't bug somebody in their house but that's the whole thing is that they're keeping track of if you actually go to these public amenities and like checking in on you if you're not 
right. to be like, well, you're not going to the public amenities, so where are you peeing? Because they, so now there's a law that you're not allowed to do anything like that. I know. And then I was like, what if they peed in the shower? These are things I actually thought. I don't even think they take showers. Simple. Like they have no water. That is true. They don't take showers. They probably just like find like a semi-wet cloth and kind of wipe themselves with it. I think there was a reference in one of the songs to one of the characters like it was either using their urine as a shower or using their drink as a shower i don't remember oh she says she boils um she takes her bath now in a coffee cup and boils with what's left of it for tea that's what it was that's what it was (laughs) it wasn't a urine shower let's erase that thought that i had she she drank her bath water which is also i do there there is uh there is a way to commend them for keeping up with the theme throughout, though, because all of the songs kind of tie back to the central theme in that they all make you think of urine somehow, um, which I admire that kind of dedication because not all musicals, like most musicals, they have an A plot and then a B plot, you know, or a C plot. Um, but this one, it was like, no, all of this will tie back into the urine theme. And it's. It's like, I love, because I love that they break the fourth wall and talk to the audience about it. It's like, look at this place. This place is terrible. Let me tell you about how terrible it is and let me do it in a funny way. The one thing is, so you have that officer, Officer Lockstock, as the, him and Sally as the, um, the people that break the fourth wall, the narrators. Um, When you see the Broadway cast which we'll show you later on uh in this show um it's it's hard because that that actor uh jeff mccarthy who plays the original officer lockstock he has and you were talking about this before we came on air such a distinctive voice like all of these people no you talked about on air yeah (laughs) i forget what we say on air and off air um but he has such a he's has such a distinctive voice that i would think it's hard like the production i saw the the officer Lockstock didn't have that kind of like booming narrator authority voice, which you really need. need. Yeah. So a lot of these roles, to me, you have to be a really good character actor with a really distinctive it is, voice. It is a sh- production that you have to be very specific in who you're casting. Yeah. It can't just be someone that can sing. Right. This exactly. is a very, very big acting role. Right. In all of these. I mean, like even the girl who plays Little Sally, she has to have kind of that like cheesy Shirley Temple yeah she has to have that cheesy like Shirley Temple meets Kristen Chenoweth kind of (laughs) voice (laughs) Um, meets Kristen Chenoweth well yeah and the girl I saw she had that kind of voice but then the the officer not having that voice didn't like it wasn't juxtaposed little Sally was I would actually auditioned for her the production never ever got made because they couldn't find someone they liked to play hope and it was the back when I was like first auditioning and I was so nervous and I could I think me singing in an audition was like like you could barely hear me yeah because I was just so nervous and I was like I'm gonna go out for little Sally because she she only has to sing with other people and she gets and the one song she sings by herself is like a talky song where she gets to just have a weird voice like I can do that it gave me like this hope that you could like be cast in a kind of big role even if you were like not the best singer. Well, I mean, look at um, Harvey uh, Firestein. Firestein in um, Hairspray. I mean, he doesn't have the greatest voice, but that's an iconic role, you know? And I, I love that. I love that as a person who but can't I feel like, sing. I don't know. Like, I feel like I've seen that with boys, but, like, it's it's rare right. to it see is, it with girls. It is rare to see it with girls because with girls, they're even... I mean, even when you're thinking of, like, you're thinking of... Uh, 
Mrs. Tenardier in Les Mis, like, she even has to have some singing ability, even though her, like, cock, she has, like, a cockney-ish kind of voice. Like, yeah. she still has to... She still has a character voice, but she still has to have a good voice. Right. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> um, but I think the the fact that they break this fourth wall and that there's only two characters that do, which I'm, I'm intrigued as to, like, I've tried to, like, in my mind kind of figure out why they've chosen these two characters to be the ones, because little Sally is, like, representing the poor and this town and I feel like they've picked her because she is the only one left that has kind of some hope for the future because of maybe her age or whatever it is about her but she's trying to have hope and then I f- I'm trying to think of like if they picked Lockstock I feel like he has to represent the other side but he's an outside version like he's not someone that's necessarily profiting the most from it so maybe that's why they picked him like I don't know maybe they just picked two people at random but I'm trying no, to No I mean sense I think I like I think that's a valid point and I I agree that it makes sense like you want you want both sides represented and um but it's also to me this old like kind of storytelling um these old two old like storytelling trope roles where uh, I think of the Princess Bride mm. when you have the grandfather telling the story to the Fred Savage character. So you always have this like older figure telling like a young kid, this is how it was in my day. So I feel like they're using that trope True. to tell the story as well. That's a good point. Um, I also just like that they bring it into the song sometimes to break the fourth wall. Like in yes. the opening song, how they're like doing like your ticket should say you're in town. Make right. sure you pee like before like there's no refunds. This is like it's they keep making reminding you this is a musical. This is a show we're putting on for you. And I like the little like call forwards or callbacks or uh, jokey things where she's like, this is a terrible title, you know. Um, well, it's true. Like, I mean, even if you think about with television and film a title can like there might be shows like I've seen trailers and I'm like this looks really good like wow why isn't this getting Mm. more buzz and then it's like well who would have thought that that would have been good based on that title right yeah I mean the Buffy the Vampire Slayer classic example of a show that no one wanted to watch in the beginning because uh mostly because of the title like it has you have to wait for the hearsay to go around word of mouth to go around before it to get popular because and that's like and sometimes networks aren't willing to wait that long for yeah. it to get popular same with broadway like sometimes a show is on stage for a month people haven't heard about it yet maybe the title's just throwing them off they don't know what it's about or whatever the case is and they don't go see it, it gets cut gets off broadway and it might have been a really amazing show to go see yeah i think that they did it in the right way that making it like something like urine even though it's like a really gross title it still is like intriguing enough to be like hmm well, I mean, it's just about? it's just a really gross musical, but uh, I mean, it does it does the same thing that Avenue Q does, which is like it it's like okay, we're gonna just be completely obtuse, so <laughs> we might as well just go all the way. Might as well just keep going with this with right this charade of peeing in the street and arresting people. Right. I mean, it. I. It, if anything, I could see it opening up the door for musicals like Avenue Q or Book of Mormon, where you're just like, oh my, they did that, you know. Um, I forgot. <laughs> I had a point, and now I forgot By it. the way, the song you were talking about is just called um, Act One Finale. Oh, maybe that's why I couldn't remember the title. And then I, I was looking at the two, because Don't Be the Bunny is right before that, and Don't Be the Bunny is such That's a, such an easy thing to remember, too. Like, there are a lot of titles in this musical. This musical that are just literally exactly what they're saying. Right, exactly what they're saying. <laughs> um, but Don't Be the Bunny, I wanted to remember to call out, because I remember listening to it 
when I first listened to this musical and I was going because when I went to go audition for it I didn't know anything about the musical and so I was listening to the soundtrack to kind of like try to figure this out and Don't Be the Bunny stood out to me for some reason it was partly his voice was singing it but just like calling all these pe- like the, all these poor people bunnies that you can just shoot dead and they're just easy game <laughs> yeah and like her just kind of not getting it like bunnies don't drive cars right like, right in my head she was much younger than she actually is yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, you have, and I mean, you have a, you have a little girl played by an older woman, The problem is, because they all play. have, like, the high voices. Yeah, so, so you're having all these character actors playing these different roles. So when you I, see it on stage, it makes, like, you can differentiate, right. but, like, just listening to it, I, I couldn't. Right. And so I thought she was like, oh, she's like a teenager. And then right. when I saw it, I was like, wait, she's like, I think she's supposed to be more like college age, like graduating college and joining the family yeah. business and stuff. yeah. Um, but they're they're also poking fun at that like whole young ingenue type of, of role. role as well. Yeah. Um, this we're gonna pull up the Tony Award video in just a second. But before we do, I'm gonna just mention what it was nominated and won for. It won best book of a musical, best original score, and best direction of a musical. And it was also nominated for best musical, best uh, performance by leading actor for John Cullum. Uh, Best Performance by a Leading Actress for Nancy Opal and for Jennifer Laura Thompson. Uh, Best Featured Actress for Spencer Caden. And Best Choreography and Best Orchestration was what it was all nominated for. So it got a pretty decent amount of nominations. But it only won Best Book and Best Score. And Best Direction. Oh, and Best Direction. So it won three. Um, So we're going to go ahead and pull up the Tony Award performance, and this will give you kind of like a little clue key into if you've only listened to the music before of um, kind of what they do with the staging of it all. Well, hello there. I mean, he's really hard and to And welcome to Urintel. He was perfect for this one. Not the place, of course, the musical. Urintel, the place is, uh, well, it's sort of a mythical place, you understand? A bad place, a place, uh, well, let's just say it's filled with symbolism and things like that. Say, Officer Lockstock, is this where you tell the audience about the water shortage? Whoa, 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 whoa there, little Sally, not all at once. Oh, I guess you don't want to overload them with too much exposition, huh? No, everything in its time, little Sally. You're too young to understand it now, but nothing can kill a show like too much exposition. How about bad subject matter? Or a bad title, even. That could kill a show pretty good. We've talked on long enough, I imagine. Enjoy the show, and welcome to Urinetown, the musical. Friends, I know you're afraid. We're in the heat of battle. And he has a great voice. And in the heat, I, I Hunter really, Foster. The yeah. actual hotness of battle. Like, I feel like Sutton, like, kind the of. Cry of Freedom afraid, sounds something like. He's a great actor yeah. and a great singer. Run, freedom, run. Freedom, run away. My friend, you have to run, 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 run. Freedom, run away. That freedom, sun, will shine someday. Till then, you better run, 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 run. Freedom, run away. There's a trickle of sweat. There's a trickle of sweat. Stripping in your ears. But still, you gotta run, 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 run. run. Freedom, run away. Now, don't you fret. There's a great big clad bill on your chair And he put his henchman on the trail Oh, I'm sick of that Now the 
Run, freedom, run. Freedom, run away. My friends, you have to run, 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 run. Yes, little Sally. Yes, it is. Away! I don't know what it is about those foster people's jeans, but they can sure belt. Yeah, they can. Like, and their vocal cords are just And with all, with, with all the uh, other cast members running, running, running in the background, I'm like, I would be I was so out of breath. That's what I'm saying is, like, that's why I just want, like, an exercise class that is a Broadway dance class where you just learn different routines because you will always be in shape. Yeah, that is so true. the cardio that is, that so is involved true. is ridiculous. And then they sing on top of that. Yes. I, um, random side note, I appreciate that they killed Bobby Strong like, like uh, before the end of the show. Um, I always appreciate when that happens, except for in the play carousel. Yeah. <laughs> Which we will talk about in December. But it's also funny to me because listening to again listening to the soundtrack, you don't find out that you're in town is just death until that one song where he is about to be thrown off, and he said, "Death is your in town." Yeah, and I mean, you in, find out in the play. In the play, you find it a lot, a sooner. lot earlier because of the exposition where he's talking a little, where Locke's talking. Like, I talking. can't just say we just kill people. Right, right. Like, I'm like when when I first saw the play, I was just like, oh wow. <laughs> You know, you you as an audience know a lot sooner it's than I thought Brigadoon. you did. It's not Brigadoon. It really isn't. They just kill people. They just kill people. Is it not? It's not a nice little fancy place with yellow rivers. Blech. Sorry. Every time he says that line in the show, I just like cringe because I just <laughs> picture like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, but everything's oh, yeah. urine instead of chocolate. <laughs> and it's the it's most the land disturbing of pure thing. imagination. <laughs> Sterilization. Um, so at the end of the play, the town goes bad because they're all peeing in the river anyway. I mean, the town goes bad. They have nothing left to drink. They starve basically to death because. But I mean, part of me, this is another problem-solving thing. I'm like, if if Hope wouldn't have encouraged those people to be peeing in the river, we wouldn't have this problem. (laughs) Um, Also, with Hope, they do 
not necessarily tell you what happens to her. You know that she meets a fate worse than her father's potentially. Right. So I'm like, did they not just throw her off the building? Like maybe they drowned her in the the pee river. river? Of pee. <laughs> maybe I don't know what it is that they right. did her, but um, but we know it's something bad happens to her, and she meets her, she gets killed as well. Again, not a happy musical. They say it throughout it. Little Sally right. is always constantly saying. Well, can't we do a happy musical next time? Yeah. I, I mean, I do like that. She stands in for the audience in that respect. You mm. know? And also the whole thing of like, but the music's so happy. Right, right. Because it is for such a dark premise and with everybody like a very Hamlet ending. Right. It has a lot of very like upbeat music. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. music is keeps you up, which I guess right. you have to have if, if you're doing a comedy. Right. Like we it's said last true. week, you can't have a comedy with sad music throughout the entire thing right because i mean i guess like even sweeney todd when the music gets kind of dark there are still moments where you have every musical ticks every musical whether it's a comedy or a, a dramatic musical and that's something i appreciate and love about them is that there's always some sort of comedy even if it's the littlest hint like lame is you have the tenardiers right which bring in this little hint of comedy because because you need that after three and a half hours of sitting and being sad. Is like you need a little bit of right. uplifting to you. Everybody does that. Even um, even Shakespearean tragedies do that. They mm. have comedic characters. So that like when you go see a film, they they'll sometimes have films that are one to two hour films that are completely barraging you with sadness. You're just gone. Like at yeah. the end of it, you're just terribly sad. Like they like Schindler's <laughs> List. That is very long and very depressing. There are films that do that, but there's no musical that I've seen or that I know of that doesn't have at least a little bit of kind of comedic relief in it. Right. And I feel like you almost have to because you're like, you are accepting the premise that people are like singing at you and sometimes they're singing in like very absurd circumstances where you're like, well, who would just go on the street <laughs> singing that, you know? So you, you're you already accepting kind of a goofy premise of like everybody singing. So Yeah. So let's bring it in. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to add on for your in town before we wrap it up? No, I think I think that covered everything. Okay. Um, I want to move on to our uh, Broadway news for the week. I have and next couple. week we're doing Wicked, everyone. Yes, we are doing Wicked next week. A musical that no one's <laughs> ever heard of. It's so it, it's so it's obscure. So obscure. <laughs> A musical so obscure. Um. So Stephen Sondheim came out this past week and spoke out about them creating a female Bobby for the upcoming um, Mary and Elliot-directed company, which was released before that she was wanting to have a female Bobby. Before I say what he said, what are your thoughts about that, about them taking that character? I'm always, you know, uh, and this isn't just specific to company, but this is like... In any play, I'm always pro-casting a female because... I feel like women are given so few roles these days and women are very versatile so I think why not why not why not spice it up a bit yeah I mean it, I always like as long as you take on the challenge of like not just changing the character to a female but actually like developing okay so how is this character if it's female because I, I don't like I don't think it's anything to just be like oh we're just gonna flip it like well I saw I mean in England I, I saw an all female cast of Richard the Third where they they basically did what the old dudes did back in the day where it's like the women just played men um, and it was understood that yeah, Richard wasn't a, this isn't just a woman playing a man this is them taking Bobby and making it female 
Oh, I didn't understand that. Yeah. But that's fine. So I think, I think fine it's too. I think it's good. I, I'm I'm excited that they're doing this and that I just like I'm just I'm intrigued as to like what about the character is going to change and now is it going to be like a female character that's still going to be in love with the girl or are they going to make that a male like I'm like I'm intrigued I just don't know what's it's exciting but I don't know what's going to happen um Sondheim didn't didn't necessarily I don't he said uh the thing about theater as opposed to movies and television is it's malleable uh what keeps theater alive is that every generation there are new actors to play Hamlet shows are performed and most important directed by different people and that keeps them alive if you've got somebody as distinguished and inventive and as good as Marianne Elliott, and she says, I would love to do company with a female central character, what is there to lose? It can only make the play either interesting or, if you dislike it, dislikable. But still, it's from furring here, but the point is, that's what keeps theater alive, so I'm always open. That is a perfect response, because mm-hmm. I do feel like that is, but, I mean, that is what keeps theater alive. You don't just keep doing the same the thing, same over, thing and over. over and over. You want to bring something new to it. And that, I mean, that brings new audiences, too. Like, and also, when you bring a revival of something that's already been done, you have to change it up somehow. Yes, exactly. It's like you... Uh, for those people that might have seen the original cast, if they are going to be compelled to see the revival, the, it, there has to be something different, you know? Yeah. And it has to speak, you know, each play, I feel, has to speak to the time that you're doing it in, even if it is a revival. So you do have to make those changes. Yeah. And like I said, it's like, this is such an exciting time for theater to be able to do this now. Because I think, like, you know, there was a time not too long ago where if this happened it would be an uproar kind of thing um from certain people and so it is exciting that we're doing this now and that we're being able to take these things that are envisioned by other people and make them kind of a different vision but still the same show right um also this past week it was announced that alec baldwin is going to star as colonel nathan jessup at nbc's live presentation of aaron sorkin's courtroom a few good men i mean i alan ball alec baldwin is um a phenomenal actor so i've only seen the movie and i've only seen the movie once and i that i believe that's the character that um now i'm blanking on his name from shining jack nicholson, jack nicholson thank you uh played right that, yes that's his well character. you know what it's been a long time i believe that's his character yeah um it's either because he's too old i believe to play the tom cruise character yeah he is too old to play the tom cruise character. so he would ha- it would have to be the jack nicholson one um it's interesting to me. This will be the first live one they did that's not a musical. I like that. I like that. I'm very excited for people like me who can't sing very well. <laughs> but who, you know, someone like Alec Baldwin, who's a great actor, that you'd you'd want to see that. You'd want to see what their live acting mm-hmm. chops are. And we, I mean, we, we know that he can do it. He's done SNL for God knows how many times in that show's live. Yeah. So it's going to be... Um, not that A Few Good Men is hilarious. Just saying. So funny. <laughs> um, I'm trying to see if it has the date for when they're going to air it, but I can't. It just says. It just says that they talked about it. In early Is he the only cast member they have right now? It's the only one I have seen. Oh, okay. Um, it says Tony nominee Scott Ellis was previously announced as the director of the live version, um, which was originally slated to premiere in early 2017. Obviously, that didn't happen because we're in. Middle right. to late 2017 right. now. Um, and now it says a representative for NBC stated that a director hasn't yet been determined for the live presentation. So it looks like he's the only thing that we have right now. But I sense. feel like when you start announcing the actors, then everything starts. Yeah, kind of- and they usually, I mean, you usually want to 
snag your your biggest box office draw actor at the beginning mm-hmm. and like announce that to kind of like bring everybody else on board or even do it as like a, some people do it to say we got Alec Baldwin can we get you you know that yeah. sort of thing it's like if you have one you can get others yes um, and then there was this news which is I hadn't heard it before but apparently there was rumors going around that Hugh Jackman was going to play Scar in the Lion King oh my god remake. I would love that they are <sighs> false oh no <laughs> the world doesn't like me Hugh Jackman will not be playing Scar um Hugh Jackman live is amazing. I've seen him live doing like a Broadway review type this, of thing. This, I believe, is the live animated. No, no, I know it's the live animated one. But I'm just saying, like, if you ever get it, this is a sidebar. If you oh, ever okay. get a chance to see Hugh Jackman do live theater, take that chance. If, he oh, is let's just, so let's good. Let's just re, re- <laughs> do that. If you ever get the chance to see Hugh Jackman, yeah, you, you will probably just be happy anyway. <laughs> so. Uh, just go see. Him. I don't know what my point is anymore. If you uh, if you stalk him, I'm to so Disneyland mesmerized by Hugh Jackman last weekend. Apparently, which is that was also sad for me because I have a year pass, and how did I not see Hugh Jackman? I feel that way all the time whenever I go to Disneyland, and then I see like later that like the day after I went, someone was there. I'm like, what? I always see actors that I'm like not interested in, which is not to say that they're bad people. It's just like I don't care. They're not your your actors. They're not that, my. They're actors. not the people that you would love to meet. Um. So we still don't have a scar for the live action announced, but it's not Hugh Jackman. Um, it would be interesting to have him play a villain role. It would be interesting to have him play because I feel role. at least from what I've seen, maybe he has and I just haven't seen it. But the, from what I've seen, he's only ever played like the dark hero, which I think trans- could transition well into a, to villain, a villain role. role. Because like the the way his, he has command of his voice, I think that he, he could, could do, do that it. very well. Well, although I mean, I would love to see Jeremy Irons just just re- redo do this role. That's the hard part about them taking these Disney movies that we grew up with, right? And making them renewing them because we're so like stuck in our ways, and we're like, no, there's we're only like, Nathan Lane, there's only Jonathan Taylor Thomas, maybe and then not, for maybe Mufasa, not Jonathan Taylor Thomas. who was Mufasa? James Earl James Jones. Earl, he's still yeah. playing James Earl Jones. Oh, the new one. Oh, well, there you go. They they themselves thought no one else can play Mufasa. You don't go from James Earl Jones to, like, someone else. That's why he's still doing... It's like the same thing with the Urinetown thing. With, yeah. Like, the voice. It's that voice. Right. When you have a very distinctive voice, you can't... Like, it's very, very hard to go from well, this person's Well, that's my same voice. problem with them hiring people that have distinctive voices in, in other ways. Like, in the live Jungle Book, having um, Christopher Walken in such he has such a distinctible voice mm-hmm. that watching him play like a character as a cartoon like not a cartoon but you know what i mean it's like it doesn't read well for me that that song was terrible that he sang in that movie i'm like you you chose one song to play in the entire movie and this it's is what so it was. bad but so yeah bad. but it's like when you have someone like that it's like it takes me out of the film almost because i know it's christopher walken even when i can't see him hmm. so james earl jones has a different kind of distinguishable voice where it's you know it's James Earl Jones but you only know him most of your life as someone that you didn't see yeah that's true because he played Darth Vader so yeah Yeah. so it's like I grew up with Darth Vader and then Mufasa so I never saw him like I couldn't visualize a person just it was just this voice so I'm okay with like people like that kind of distinguishable voice playing voice acting roles but when it's people I can distinguish as a person it takes me out of it you were just picturing Christopher walking in an ape suit weren't you basically yeah it wasn't good (laughs) 
It wasn't a good thing. Um, let us know who you guys want to see play Scar. I can't think besides Jeremy Irons. I'll try to come up with a list, but I can't think of anyone at the moment. Um, but anyone that you think that is current right now that would be good for Scar, let us know. And for the other characters that haven't been released for the Aladdin or for Lion King, that'd be. let us know who you want to see play. Um, where can they find you one last time, Jackie? One, two, three, Jackie B on all platforms. And you guys can find me at bfips14 on Twitter and Instagram. And make sure you come back next week for Wicked. And we will see you then. Have a good week. Longing for freedom. I see a river. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.